Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Sports Tonight on the Fighting Words News Network. Fighting Words are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services, and the men and women on the first line of defense against COVID. 
doctors and nurses, and especially those wonderful people who have to clean up after everybody that do such a great job. We appreciate everything you do. Uh, tonight's program will be the last program we'll be doing this year, and we want to thank each and every one of you, especially the two gentlemen that are on with me right now. They've uh, really raised the bar for us over the years, and, and uh, we have never had an audience, a, state, a, a worldwide audience right now, is 266,912. So I want to say thanks, uh, Roy, and thanks, Don. Well, thank Frank, thank it's you for uh, it's a part of the great pleasure. No question about that. And, of course, last week we did a, a little bit of a dedication to the late Tommy Gilbert, who was really the one that got us all started and underway. Uh, I'd like to add on to that at the top of the show before we get to Roy very quickly. I'd like to thank John Romano and also Varela for the uh, the fine pieces they wrote in the Tampa Bay Times about uh, Tommy Gilbert. Uh, both pieces were really, uh, I think, wonderfully received. So, uh, And also, one other note, uh, an old friend of ours, I know Rogers uh, down in Atlanta, we, everybody that's been on the show that's been in Philadelphia knew Skip Clayton. He was with the Philadelphia Phillies for over 50 years and uh, – a uh, member of the Philadelphia Sports Writers for the same amount over 50 years passed away over the weekend. And so I want to remember uh, Skip Clayton as well. A terrific, terrific guy. And uh, just sort of mentioned the fact that he uh, was with us for so many years and wished his family the very best. Now let's get to the show. And uh, Roy Cummings is always at the top for us and always wants to chat a little bit about a number of things. And I guess the first thing we could talk about tonight, uh, Roy, is the Bucks because they they had quite a game on Sunday. Yeah, they sure did. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, around the NFL thought, you know, at one point, you know, could this be a preview of the Super Bowl ahead? And uh, uh, it, it's looking less and less like that could be the case, but it does appear as though the Bucks uh, could be primed for another Super Bowl run. Um, certainly, they took care of business uh, against Buffalo, but. Boy, oh boy, they have a, they have a tendency, guys, to let people hang around, and um, they've struggled with good teams. And I'm not even going to at the point where I feel like you can put uh, Buffalo in the category of a good team just yet. Uh, they they seem to be at the beginning of the season, but they they clearly have struggled with their running game, their pass protection, defense at times as well. Um, 500 football team now. I'm not sure if they're going to even make the playoffs. So they still got a real good shot at it, but they got to correct some things. But you know, Tampa let them come back in a game that they were in control of. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there was a stat at one point: Tom Brady, uh, his record in games in which he's uh, trailed by 21 or more points, or been ahead by 21 or more points, he, he was undefeated, and he was facing the possibility of losing that game. And they got uh, they were fortunate to win that game. And uh, so the Bucks got some work to do here. I, look, I, you're starting to hear a lot of talk about are the Bucks the best team in the NFC. I wouldn't disagree with that, but they are quite vulnerable, guys. I, I think they're this team can you can still throw on them. I think you can run on them if you're dedicated to it. Uh, so I think you can run on them. And um, the, the toughest part with them is they just they just keep. They can pile on the points. It's really hard to stop them, as we all know. And, uh, you know, that's Brady. That's all Brady. And, uh, well, it's not all Brady. It's Brady and Gronk and Mike Evans and 
Antonio Brown if he comes back next week. You know, so we'll see. But yeah, they, it was a int- very interesting game. Uh, tale of uh, two halves for sure. And uh, uh, at this point, uh, the Bucks still have some work to do. But they look like uh, they might be the, the team primed to win the NFC at this point. Just getting back quickly to your main point, uh, Buffalo just doesn't run the ball, and you can't. I don't think you can win convincingly over the last three or four games of the season, especially when you're up there in the North Sea. You've got to be able to run the ball, and they just haven't been able to do that. Let's get to Roger Hendler down there in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, of course, uh, the Atlanta Falcons had a, a big weekend this weekend, Roger. No, Roger's not here yet, Don. Oh, Roger's not here yet? Oh, I talked to him earlier. He said no, he was no, going to no. be at the top of the show. All right, let's go back then to Roy and, and talk about some of the other factors. I couldn't agree with you more, Roy. Uh, they keep letting teams back in, letting teams back in, which is not a good sign, and then have to rely on Brady to pull the damn thing out. Uh, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. But also a couple of other surprises over the weekend, uh, going back to Buffalo when they played uh, New England. Uh, you you got to give both – Bill Belichick, at least in my opinion, you got to give Bill Belichick all the credit in the world. I mean, he threw the ball three times in the entire game now. It was a very windy situation up there in Buffalo. But you just can't take away from the way he coaches and the skills that he brings to the game every single weekend, Roy. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's really interesting to watch the Brady-Belichick uh, marriage as these two have, are now apart from one another. They continue to uh, to be the best at what they're doing, and uh, look, I, I think Bill Belichick has benefited yet again from a ridiculously weak AFC East division. But you know, it's that's the division he's in. It's, you, know, you can't take anything away from that. From him on that, um, you you know, you build confidence the more you win games, and uh, you know, the, this is a team that uh, looks primed to to get to the playoffs and possibly do some damage there. You know, if you told me right now or asked me what the chances were of a Buccaneers-Patriots Super Bowl, I'd say the chances are pretty good. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think the Patriots are better than certainly anybody in their division, Um, might be better than anybody in the uh, Central, uh, and maybe in the AFC South. So, um, you know, I I think they just – and, hey, Bill Belichick certainly knows uh, better than anyone how to uh, put together a game plan for the playoffs, uh, no matter the weather, you know, whether it's indoor, outdoors, uh, in the snow, in the wind, in the rain, it doesn't matter. He's better at it than anybody in football. And I think that's going to help them a lot down the stretch here because uh, you're right. I mean, that game in Buffalo is a perfect example. He threw the ball one, what, one time, I think it was. Is that what, is that what you said? I, I mean, I remember it. I just can't remember the number, but. I mean, it was just incredible to, to put together a, a game plan like that. I mean, you know, football went back uh, 100 years, you know, before the, the evolution of the forward pass in that game. And uh, it, was, it was quite quite incredible. But it just shows you, I mean, he's, he knows how to put together a game plan that can win in any environment against any opponent at any time. And uh, I will not count them out uh, in this playoff race uh, until they're out for sure. Before we get to the next subject, uh, talk a little bit about the COVID because it's affecting hockey, it's affecting basketball, and now this weekend some big games on the National Football League scene, and uh, players are just not going to be able to play because of COVID. But uh, before I do that, uh, uh, ask you a little bit going back to the, to Belichick again. 
uh, everybody talked about these top quarterbacks that came out, uh, you know, during the course of last year and into this season. And here's a guy, Belichick winds up getting what appears to be right now the best of all. I mean, he's, he's in first place in his division. He got, the, he got a quarterback in the number 15 position, and here he is. I mean, how do you figure that out? Well, you figure it out by you go to a winning organization, really, and, and you know, it doesn't necessarily matter that that winning organization may not be at the top of its game. When you start uh, when you start playing for him as a quarterback as a young quarterback, but you've certainly got you got a system in place that you know works. You've got a head coach that knows how to work with a young quarterback. He's done it before. See Tom Brady uh, when he was a kid. Um, you know you've got a uh, obviously an offensive coordinator who uh, puts together game plans and and I think they just look. They knew exactly what they wanted. This is one of the things that I think people miss in the draft especially at the quarterback position. And I remember this when, when I was covering the Buccaneers. I'm still covering them. But when I, was, when I was covering Monty Kiffin as the defensive coordinator with the Bucs, Monty Kiffin knew exactly what kind of player he needed and wanted. Lovey Smith was the same way, uh, and Tony Dungy was. He, they knew exactly what kind of player they needed for their defense at every position. They knew everything from how tall, how much he weighed, how fast he was, all the measurables, they knew what the skill set had to be for every position on that field. The, the, the Patriots know that about their quarterback. I'm sure they know it about every other position as well. But they certainly know it about their quarterback. They know exactly what that quarterback has to be able to do. And, you know, you hear all these, you know, these cliches about quarterbacks. Well, he can make all the throws. He can do this. He can do that. I don't know that – I'm sure that's part of what the – you know, the scouting report includes for Patriots quarterbacks. But whatever it is, there is a certain mold that the quarterback has to fit in order to be a success in the system that they have in New England. And that's what they've got in their quarterback. That's why they were able to sit back, wait at number 15, and say, all right, you guys take, take Justin Fields. Go ahead and take the other guy. Go ahead. We'll wait. We'll take the fifth quarterback at 15 overall, and we'll, and we'll be very happy with him because he fits what we do. It doesn't, he doesn't have to be considered the best quarterback in the, in the draft because he's the best quarterback for us. He fits what we do. We can plug and play with this guy and be successful. And I think a lot of that is really um, underrated when it comes to the draft at every position, but particularly at quarterback. I think a lot of teams – Throw you know throw dice up against the wall and hope that they come up snake eyes or something and you know when they draft a quarterback they're they're gambling that you know this kid's got all these measurables and all these other things that you want in a quarterback you know but does he really fit our scheme do we have to change our scheme to make to make it work for him do we have the right players around him to make it work I think a lot of those things sometimes get lost and uh, and that's why these quarterbacks struggle and uh, in New England. They've got a system in place that works, and now they have a quarterback, yet another one, who fits what they do, and that's why he's succeeding. We're in the medical field as well as the sports field, and uh, we have almost kicked it to death, the COVID situation. But uh, here's the L.A. Rams played maybe uh, their best game of the year uh, on Monday night and and, uh, came away with a big win, put themselves in great position. And now, uh, along with the Cleveland Browns and uh, some other teams as well, 
COVID comes in, and, you know, what kind of a weekend of football uh, we're going to have with Cleveland and especially the uh, the Rams, just so short of players. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, it's interesting. NBC did a story tonight about the impact that COVID is beginning to have yet again on – and it mentioned in particular – it was basically a report on how it's affecting the NFL and the NBA. Um, guys, it hasn't affected – really, really affected either of those leagues yet. It has affected the NHL. The NHL has postponed games. The NHL has one team with 17 people, uh, including about a dozen players, uh, with with COVID. And, you know, they're starting to change protocols now to protect uh, these organizations. Uh, They don't want to cancel games. The Olympics are certainly in danger now. Um, so what you what you could see in the NBA NFL this uh, weekend and the NBA as well is what you're seeing already in the NHL and what we've seen across uh, Major League Baseball uh, earlier this year and uh, certainly across the NHL a year ago. Um, uh, kind of a, a a very interesting version of the game with. Uh, uh, almost anything but your star players uh, making up the roster. And it's unfortunate, but um, it might be the way teams have to go. And look, the way things are going in the NHL, it's no, you know, it's not like suddenly things are different in Canada or they're different in hockey arenas or they're different. It's the same everywhere. As I've said before, guys, and uh, the NFL is, is basically got their own set of rules right. when it comes to this. There are a lot more players, in my guess, that uh, uh, that are they're testing positive um, for, for this virus, and that the NFL is doing everything it can to, you know, keep players on the field, whether they've got the virus or not, and things like that. And uh, um, I don't think they're being anywhere near as careful as the NHL is, as Major League Baseball was. Uh, I hope it doesn't cost them, but, uh, you know, the thing is, guys, that this virus is still out there. It's still infecting people. It's still infecting people who are uh, vaccinated, um, who have received the booster. Uh, The good news is is the booster and and the vaccination basically is, at this point, the best medical knowledge, no belief is that uh, uh, that'll keep you out of the hospital, keep you from getting severe disease you won't be in a position where your your life is in danger um you're going to feel it um and but you're not going to feel it to a point where you're going to be in danger of being hospitalized or 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 really uh or or anything worse so that's the good news but the bad news is the virus is out there and it's uh, contagious as contagious as it's ever been maybe more so and uh you're probably going to see i'll be surprised well i won't be surprised if the nfl doesn't cancel games um, but uh, you're going to see a very, you're going to see a lot of people testing positive. That's for sure. Roy Cummings, our special guest, as always, the first hour on the program. We've got some great guests coming up. Billy Wardell will be with us in just a couple moments to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and the National League East. But uh, getting back, uh, Roy, we saw and very seldom do we talk uh, soccer on this program, but we saw the Philadelphia Union, who had a great chance to go to the championship game in. The MLS, and all of a sudden, uh, they were out 11 players for the for the semifinal game last week. And uh, lo and behold, New York finally did win a championship. Had a parade, not a parade, but had a gathering at City Hall yesterday for uh, celebrating the first championship in New York in a long time. 
But again, uh, the, the, the Union had to play a semifinal championship game without 11 players. And uh, it, it seems to me that this is what we're finding out now in the National Hockey League and now the New Jersey Nets tonight. Harden, they have, they're out a, a ton of players. Uh, I, as you indicated, the National Hockey League has already had to postpone a couple of games. Uh, it's, and the national news tonight uh, really uh, spent a lot of time emphasizing uh, the reinsurgence uh, of the pandemic and how important now is, it really is to get these shots. So uh, I don't know how much of a, a rise. I know that my granddaughter works in New York, and they sent out a thing today that uh, uh, they all have to work from home again. No, and all the masks have to wear masks in New York all the time now. And uh, as I said, my granddaughter works in the city. My grandson works in the city. And both of them uh, have fallen into the mandatory uh, mask culture. So it's, it's, it's a problem again. Yeah, it almost feels like we're back to square one, which is really, uh, right. really unfortunate. And, um, but again, the good news is, look, if you've been vaccinated, if you've got a, and if you've gotten a booster, uh, you are in, you're going to be in decent shape. You could still get this. Um, but your symptoms are not going to be devastating. You're probably going to feel as if you've got a bad cold and it's going to be that way for a few days. And if you're smart and you care about the people around you in your life, uh, you'll do the right thing and you'll, uh, you'll isolate yourself from everybody and, uh, until you're healthy again. And, uh, you know, that's what it is. And, again, the point, you know, that, that's, that's really interesting is that, you know, what, 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 how, how is it that 11 soccer players on a, on a team with probably 18 and a couple of spare guys to, to help practice, um, how is it that 11 players out, out of a group of, let's say, 30, uh, 17 out of, out of a group of about 40 in the NHL, uh, and, and these numbers are not odd. These are, you know, typical numbers, seven in other areas in the same group. Uh, you you do, the, do the math, and how is it that the NFL doesn't have the same number? You know, they're in the same situation. Their guys aren't – again, it's not like the virus doesn't understand what a pigskin is. Um, you know, I just think the league is, is basically fudging the numbers and trying to make sure that they continue to put games on TV so that they're not having to pay back any money. And uh, they're going to, you know, come hell or high water uh, or even, you know, possibly the loss of a life here or the severe uh, hospitalization of some players uh, – they're not going to shut down the league or shut down the games. And I know fans want to see it. and That's important. But, um, you know, I think they're taking a, quite a risk here with the, uh, in the NFL. They really are because the other leagues are doing the right thing. When, it's, uh, when you've got a, what appears to be an outbreak, they're shutting it down before it's clearly an outbreak and uh, to avoid an outbreak. So, um, and even in some cases, it's been too late for that. So uh, they're doing the right thing in the NHL, the NBA, and, Obviously, MLS, and uh, I'm not sure they're doing the right thing in uh, in the NFL. Roy Cummings, our special guest, is always the first half hour of the program, uh, Wednesday edition of Sports Conversation. Uh, I know Frank's back there in the studio. He might have a comment as well. But uh, before I get to uh, the next, uh, let's go back to football momentarily and get your evaluation of Monday night's game. I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you, in what I thought was going to be a much closer game uh, be, if, between the Arizona Cardinals. I, 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 it just didn't play very well to what I anticipated for the team that had played so well all year. What do you think? No, you're absolutely right. I, I thought uh, that would be a much uh, closer game, too. thought it was a, a real good chance for 
Arizona to kind of show that they, they really have come of age and um, just, you know, goes to show you, first of all, I mean, this is the NFL. Uh, you don't have to be a great team to, to go out there and beat a team that you think is uh, is at the top. And uh, uh, not that L.A. Uh, is, is weak. They're not. <laughs> They're one of the better teams themselves. But uh, uh, this this was an opportunity really for the Rams, to, Rams for the uh, – for the uh, for Arizona to, uh, to to really put itself on top. Look at ten and three, they've still got the number one seed. Now uh, you're talking about you know Tampa possibly getting it back. Um, it could you know possibly could go to uh, Green Bay. So there was a lot to play for there. And you're right, they didn't quite uh, measure up. But uh, hey, uh, what four games left to play for everybody? So it's plenty of time to get back and uh, show you what they're about. But um, to me, they they looked vulnerable and um, I'm starting to see teams outside of Arizona, Tampa Bay, Green Bay that uh, are getting stronger as this team. I'm not saying they're getting weaker, but a game like that, you can hang around and uh, it it can hurt you for a couple of weeks if you don't uh, shake it off. So uh, interesting to, it'll be interesting to see how Arizona responds this week um, uh, to that, uh, to that game, to that loss, because that was a, that was a tough one. Also, a couple of very, very tough. Uh, the first interception may be uh, the poorest of the two, but the first interception really hurt them. They already dropped behind right away. They're down there. It was almost a 10-point conversion. They're in position to kick a field goal if they don't get the first down. And instead, they gave up the football on an interception, and uh, you know, the Rams, uh, the uh, 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 yeah, Los Angeles Rams wound up going down the field scoring a touchdown. So you take three points away, you add seven, you lose ten, and that's in the first quarter before you really ever get going. Forget the second interception. Yeah, it sets a bad tone right away. And, um, again, it's uh, you, you can't let that kind of thing happen uh, in any NFL game. Uh, you really have to be very strong in order to uh, to, to get over that kind of thing. Uh, when right. You have a ten-point swing like that, and they, they couldn't do it. And, you know, it just, like I said, it, it just kind of set a bad tone right from the very start uh, for Arizona. They weren't able to overcome it. Um, I think, you know, at, at some point, uh, look, they've got to work on being a little bit better and, and bouncing back. I thought they tried to force some things uh, early on there. Like you said, uh, you know, there's there's certain certain ways just to, to avoid that mistake. Um, you know, they, they probably felt very confident there, but uh, I think it showed right away just how vulnerable they can be. And uh, again, that's um, that's that's a, that's a tough uh, that's a tough thing to swallow if you're Arizona. Uh, I'm not saying they they thought they were just invincible going into that game, but certainly their confidence was high and uh, they felt good about themselves no matter the situation. And you're playing at now home. They've been humbled a little bit. Yeah, they've been humbled a little bit. Yeah, and at home, it wasn't a good home. Uh, I, just you know, the whole uh, atmosphere didn't wasn't wasn't. Uh, what you expected. It's almost like they, they kind of got nervous uh, under the bright lights of, uh, of uh, a primetime football. And, uh, you know, I thought they were a little bit further along than that. Maybe they still are, uh, but now they got to prove it again. Another team, uh, you know, I, there's certain coaches that I just admire, and I get out of New Orleans. They were in the depths of trust, depression there. I mean, they were really playing terrible, terrible football. And they bounced back last week, got themselves a win. I mean, there's a coaching staff again. Those uh, had to refocus. And which team is that again? I, I didn't catch that. Down. New Orleans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, 
uh, that's another team that, you know, like they're out of quarterback. They're down two. I mean, you don't have Drew Brees, and now you don't have James Winston. Okay. And we're finding out that Taysom Hill may not be a guy who can really play quarterback on a regular basis. He's a great gadget player, but he's not going to be able to run your team. Um, but you know what? They uh, Again, you're right about the coaching staff, the staff in general. It's one of the best. And, in fact, I would, I would venture to say that after Belichick, uh, is there a better coach than Sean Payton in the NFL? I'm not so sure right now. I mean, Pete Carroll I'd put up there for sure uh, in that argument. But, boy, oh, boy, Sean Payton and his staff have to be a part of it, part of that uh, conversation. And, uh, and because they, they continue to be uh, competitive no matter what. And they've lost a lot. I mean, that, that's a team that's, that's really hurting from uh, just, you know, personnel losses and uh, of various kinds. And um, it just shows that, uh, that, look, they're a team to be reckoned with every Sunday, no matter who they're playing. Uh, they're not as strong as they were a year ago. That's clear. Not as strong as they were at the beginning of the season or even halfway through it. But um, they could still, still, uh, still hurt you. Roy Cummings, our special guest, is always we're almost running out of time with uh, Roy. But I want to bring Billy Wardell in, one of the great talk show hosts in Philadelphia for so many years, worked with Billy Oh, time and time again, and uh, just one show after another has some of the best guests in all sports day in and day out on this program in Philadelphia. And, uh, Billy, I know you've only heard the last couple of minutes of uh, Roy's uh, comments here, but some of your thoughts about where the National, League, National Football League stands right now as far as coaching staffs. Well, I have to agree with Roy. Bill Belichick is far and above the, the best coach in football. Like, Sean, the mark of a great coach is getting the most out of players who are not up to snuff. And Peyton's been able to do that. I mean, Carroll, I don't think Carroll will be returning to Seattle because Russell Wilson and and, uh, Pete Carroll do not get along, and I think they're going to part company. Uh, But the, 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 the good coaches are able to maximize their talent. And that's what Belichick has done. That's what Pete Carroll's done. Uh, that's what uh, Sean Payton's done. They know how to get the best out of every player. And I guess, Roy, you'd have to agree with me on that, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you you kind of nailed it there. That's exactly right. Uh, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, a, there's a trick to it. Not everybody can do it. Uh, and, again, I think um, it goes back to what I said earlier about uh, – the quarterback situation in New England. I, I think the best coaches uh, and their staff members know exactly what kind of player they need, and, and they, they know it down to every measurable uh, and every uh, non-measurable. They, they, they know uh, exactly what kind of player they need to fit their scheme effectively. Uh, it doesn't always have to be a plug-and-play player. It's got to be sometimes it's a guy that you know needs a year or two to develop and uh, but eventually he's going to play this particular position and he's going to play it well. Belichick does it as well as anybody in the league right now. I think Sean Payton does. And I think uh, Pete Carroll does as well. And I think, you know, that's it. I mean, that's really, to me, well, you I know, think I'll that's tell you another guy that doesn't in the get NFL. Enough credit. Another guy that doesn't get enough credit is Bruce Arians. Everybody said, well, he got Tom Brady out of New England. But he had to deal with Tom Brady. He wasn't afraid to, to call Tom Brady out when they were struggling last year. And I think Bruce Arians doesn't get the credit he deserves. I agree. And, and, and I'll leave you guys with this because uh, you're right. Bruce Arians is certainly in that mix. I think sometimes he gets – he's maybe in the, the 
you know, if, if there's a top tier of head coaches, Belichick, Carroll, Sean Payton, uh, 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 um, I, I think he's probably in the next group, but he probably should be in the top group because um, one of the things he does exceptionally well is, uh, you know, he, he, he's a player's coach. Uh, he knows how to keep things loose. And even with the star players, he's not afraid, as you said, he's not afraid to call them out and say, hey, uh, this, we need more from you. And he'll, and he'll do it publicly. He's not afraid to do that. And um, that takes a lot of guts, but it takes, uh, it takes somebody who everybody respects as well. And I think he's certainly got the respect around the league. And uh, uh, if he wins another Super Bowl, you are going to hear, it doesn't matter that Tom Brady's, uh, you know, the, the, the quarterback of that team. If he wins another Super Bowl, he will be in that tier. He'll be right there. And also, another guy that we forgot to mention is so wait, hold, hold on a second. Let's go back to your first point because I think you made an excellent one. I, I think, uh, I know Pete Carroll looks as enthusiastic as ever out there in Seattle, especially winning the other day. But I, I think his time may be up. I think he may, uh, may be ready to step down out there in Seattle and if, with all the controversy that's going on. What do you two fellas think? I, I think, think it's a distinct possibility. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I do too. I, I think it is a possibility. I, I think he's probably – I think he realizes that um, the team that he's running now in Seattle is, uh, is on the brink of needing to rebuild itself, and he probably isn't up for the rebuild. I, I, I don't know if he's Carroll that well. I don't know how much it means to him. You know, some coaches can't live without the game. Uh, I don't know that Pete's that way. I think he's got a lot, you know, things that uh, interest him to begin with. But um, if, if he's a guy who can walk away from it, uh, I think he probably will at this point because, again, I, I'm not sure he's up for a rebuild because that's, that could take a while. Roy, I know it's dinner time for you. Thanks for staying on a few extra minutes with Billy. I wanted to get the two of you guys together because uh, nobody knows more about this football business than you two fellows do. So thank you very much once again, Roy, and we'll get together next Wednesday night again. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys, as always. Take care now. Thanks, Roy. Billy, back to you, and uh, we haven't mentioned the Philadelphia Phillies, but I do want it at the top of the show. Yeah. I mentioned a good friend that you and I worked with for 40 years. I mentioned at the top of the show, Skip Clayton passed away over the weekend. And uh, really one of the real nice guys that we ever worked with, right? No question about it. And he was a great, great historian on baseball, football. He wrote so many books about the Eagles, the Flyers, the Sixers, the Phillies. I mean, he did a lot of research, which was very interesting. And there was nobody better in this country and Skip Clayton on NASCAR and auto racing in general. He knew his stuff top to bottom. No question about it. One of the really, real, just one of the fine people we lost. Lost a couple of really great ones the last couple of weeks, and uh, uh, sorry to hear that. But now we'll get back to sports again. And really, we haven't touched on the Eagles. We haven't touched on the uh, uh, Eastern Conference yet, uh, the division. Uh, the Eagles have sort of snuck a little bit back up. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are still, you know, handily in front. But what do you think about the Eagles now? As we're, you picked them as sort of a 500 team to start the season. Are they going to be better, any better than that? Don, I picked them to win six games, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, I was surprised after they uh, got off to that woeful start, how they righted the ship. you got to give Nick Sirianni a lot of credit. 
You decided that we have to run the football to be effective, and they've been running the ball very effectively. The one thing about this game on Sunday, the COVID outbreak in Washington, there was one writer that said maybe the Washington team should forfeit the game on Sunday. They've got seven or eight guys who are primetime players that may not, make, may not make the trip to Philadelphia and will not play. So that, right. that's really that's in the favor of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I hope the Eagles don't take it lightly because this is an opportunity to, to jump all over Washington because they have to go to Washington in two weeks after they play Washington. They play the Giants, who can't get out of their own way. And then you have the, the Washington team down there. So that, this is going to be very interesting to see what happens. And it looks like Jalen Hurts will start unless he has a setback in practice tomorrow or Friday. Well, it's interesting because they said uh, we sort of paid down on the, on the Eagles a little bit that they were really going to struggle. Uh, coaching staff, how good was the news coaching staff going to be and all the factors of when the quarterback, what's going to happen there, a lot of controversy last year and into this year as to whether he was going to be the starting quarterback and uh, then a physical condition with the injuries. But uh, he, he really did step up a little bit, and they need him to have the versatility to run the football as well as throw it, Billy. Absolutely. He's got to uh, learn how to maneuver in the pocket better, and he's got to work on his footwork. That's the key for him to take the next step forward. I mean, a lot of young quarterbacks get into some bad habits because they can get away with it with their athletic ability. Now he's got to become a student of the game and work on the the little things that will make him a better quarterback going forward. Bill, we talked in the first half hour as well about the pandemic and uh, the COVID and what's happening there because – uh, and you mentioned it, too. Uh, you know, coming into this week at Washington with their problems, uh, so many teams, the L.A., I mentioned the first half hour, L.A. played one of the best games they played all year, and now they come home on short rest having played Bunny night. And, and you, you know, how many players are they missing for this week's game? Yep, you're right. It, it, it's amazing. And, you know, the 17-game schedule is going to take its toll on these players. And when you look to the playoffs, are we really seeing a true playoff team in the postseason? Many of these teams will be hit with injuries, uh, hit with the COVID. This is going to be very, very interesting this postseason as well. What's going to do your belly with baseball? Because you and I talk baseball day in and day out. Uh, so a lot of teams made movies, moves before the uh, – the lockout came about. The Phillies made one, I think, it's a move, but I don't think it's a major move. A lot of clubs made major moves. I, Henry keeps talking about how much money he's going to spend and what they're going to do. He got themselves what I think is a, an outstanding general manager from a track record standpoint, but he didn't do anything at the trading deadline last year, and he hadn't done anything before the lockout. What's happening? Well, you, you look at John Middleton. I mean, he said he was going to f- spend foolish money. He spent foolish money with Bryce Harper, even though he's the MVP. But it, an MVP has to be surrounded by, by better players if they're going to make a run at the postseason. And right now, if you look at this baseball team, a big hole in center field, a big hole in left field, 
You don't need to know if Gregorius is your shortstop going forward. What about Bohm at third base? The bullpen is still unstable. And then you have to add another starting pitcher. So this club has a lot of issues they have to address once this lockout is over. Because right now you look at the division, Atlanta's loaded. and They, they got to the World Series and won the World Series without one of the best players in the game, Ronald Acuna. And they've got a great minor league system. The Mets are spending funny money. The Marlins are getting better because they're one of the youngest teams in baseball. They're going to be a factor. So it might be the Phillies and the Washington Nationals battling for last place in the division. Unless the Phillies do some dramatic things in the, in the months to come, once the lockout is over. Well, the, you know, there are some players out there, and have some players. Before we started uh, at the close of the season when the free agents became available, there were five outstanding quarterbacks, or shortstops, I want to say quarterback, five outstanding shortstops. Any one of the five would be a major, major improvement for the Philadelphia Phillies. But yet, I have not seen where they made any negotiations. Two have been signed. And, and some are saying, well, they're not going to make a move. They're just waiting for another $330 million contract. Uh, what do you see at shortstop? Well, I see the kids' stats possibly pushing Gregorius in spring training once they start spring training for that number one spot at shortstop. I think that's going to be a real battle. I don't think that uh, it's a lock that Gregorius is the starting shortstop when they break camp. The Stotts kids are very, very high on. He had a very successful year. He played well in the instructional league. Now, it's a far cry from the instructional league to the big leagues. Exactly you know, right. I, I really, really believe that they're going to give him every opportunity to win that position. But, again, there's other positions got to be addressed. What about left field? Chris Bryant's still out there. Does John Middleton make a big, big splash? What do they have to trade? There's nothing in their minor league system. They've got to redo that whole minor league system because it's in such disarray right now, one of the worst in baseball. So they can't rely on that. So they've got a lot of issues going forward, Don. I couldn't believe you. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the problem is that you talk about Brian, and I thought he was a great, great pick last year before he – you know, uh, decided to go to the 42, uh, uh, to San Francisco. Giants. But, uh, you know, you've got to, if you, you sign Brian, you've got 650 or $60 million and two outfielders. Well, hey, Don, you know what? That's the pl- price you're going to have to pay in poker today. Because <laughs> if you want to have a player, look, th- th- they can't keep using piecemeal and, you know, putting a, uh, a Band-Aid where a tourniquet's necessary. I mean, you've got to get production out of left field and center field, especially left field. That's a power position. You've got to get 30, 35 home runs a year out of that position. And center field, you need a great defensive center fielder like the likes of Gary Maddox. But right, right now, Middleton is caught between a rock and a hard place because if he doesn't do a couple of things in the off season. There's going to be a lot of empty seats at Citizens Bank Park. Well, talk a little bit about the lockout. I'm uh, having lunch up in Lambertville uh, on Saturday with Bill White, and, uh, and no one knows oh, more about Oh, you had lunch with people. Bill White? Yeah, Bill. Bill and I are going to have lunch on Saturday at, up in Lambertville. Uh-huh. 
And, uh, you know, he's been in every phase, and I want to talk to him about the lockout, what, what he really thinks uh, is going to happen. Uh, I, my personal feeling is I, I don't think you're going to have this thing back in business before the beginning of what should be spring training. Well, Don, I had Ruben Amaro on yesterday, and Ruben said to me, this could be a death knell for baseball if they decide to walk, not start spring training on time because you're going to lose all those people. The Super Bowl's over. You're in the middle of the NBA and NHL season. People are looking for something uh, spring uh, during, uh, during the springtime. And, they, you know, they, they, if people get revved up because baseball talks about, hey, summertime, fun, the whole deal. If they, if they screw this thing up, it's awful. And you know another thing, Don, I'm going to tell you something. I am so ticked off. I am really upset with that Golden Era committee did not vote Dick Allen into the baseball oh, Hall of Fame. It is an absolute travesty. It's and a there's disgrace. one guy it's a that's exu- uh, uh, that this may that For those people who are listening are not familiar, he missed by one vote. He got 11 instead right. of 12. And now he has there's to sit on the sidelines. one guy orchestrating it, that whole thing. Is he's Jerry got to wait Ryan five Dorf. years now before his name can be put up again. And, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf is the guy, Don, who's really sabotaging Dick Allen. Two times in the last five years, Dick Allen missed by one vote. You don't smell a rat there. I do. Yeah. Well, as I say, and nobody worked harder this time. Bill, Bill White was very, very strong trying to get a former teammate and a friend uh, back there into the, to the Hall of Fame. He worked very hard at it. And uh, just a shame. Uh, uh, he passed away, for those people that are not aware, Rich, Rich, uh, Dick Allen passed away, and uh, so he, he uh, you wouldn't have been in a position to go to Cooperstown and accept the award anyway, but uh, his, his name should be in, no question, his name should be in the Hall of Fame. Roger Henry's <laughs> all with us too, Billy, and he's yeah, down in yeah. Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, yeah. Roger, I, go I tell us. Got, finally got you back. Yeah, yeah but, I, and you know what, Bill, you're exactly right. And Froggy Don, you know, the uh, groundskeeper for years with the Phillies, uh, he was leading the uh, campaign. Uh, and there's just so many people. Uh, we're going to have to get uh, Dick's uh, son on. Dan uh, talked to him last week when I was at uh, Dan's house, Dan Baker. So uh, we'll do that. Bill, uh, the uh, what's going to happen? I, I may have missed it. Uh, what about the Eagles and the Redskins on Sunday? How do you see that? Well, the Washington team may not be with half their club because there's a COVID outbreak down there. So they could be yeah. missing seven or eight players that are very key members. So that would give the Eagles a leg up. So I, the, the Eagles cannot take this game lightly, even though the, the, the Washington team is without a number of, will be without a number of players. Uh, Washington should have, you know, a second team in there. And there's always a real battle when the Washington team uh, plays Philadelphia. You're right. Let me ask you another question. Uh, Kevin Stefanski didn't is that isn't he's got co, uh, on the COVID list again? Didn't he? Wasn't he on the COVID list earlier in this season? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. But, mm-hmm. He missed so, the game early in the season. Yeah, no, that's another team that's really going to suffer this weekend because not only is he on the COVID list again. But he's got a host of players on the COVID list again. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really becoming unbelievable. There's a real outbreak, and I'm going to tell you something. People should be vaccinated. People should be getting their booster shots. I don't want to hear all this political nonsense. You want to You're be right. as safe as you can. You have to really mm-hmm. be vigilant about this whole thing. And that, that's the unfortunate part about it, The people, you know, there's people that don't think that they need to be vaccinated. Well, everybody needs to be vaccinated and uh, get the booster shot. Because if, if you do contract COVID, it's not as serious. They've had to postpone games in the National Hockey League. At least they have the flexibility yeah. to postpone games. But you don't have that in the National Football League. You can't go, we're 17 games now. You can't take it up to take a couple of weekends off. No, you no. can't, Don. That's that's very, very true. And it, it's just, it's really sad. It really is sad what's going on. And this is going to be very interesting to see what transpires this weekend. Because I think there's 73 players of today that have right. been uh, with, with COVID. 73 of the entire National Football League. So that's that's a big number. That's a big number. Billy, before we let you go, uh, any surprises? Uh, nobody follows the National Football League better than you. You work every single game with the Eagles. Uh, you see every team uh, uh, in your division. Uh, any surprises to you in the early going? Uh, with, are the Cardinals a surprise? Uh, what, what are some of the thoughts you have on that? The Cardinals have been a little bit of a surprise, but Tyler Murray, they've got a lot of good young players. James Conner has played well for me, who came over from the Steelers last year. I mean, the one thing that really bothers me is that the parity in the National Football League, Pete Rozelle always wanted parity. I don't like parity. I like a super team or two that dominate, all right? The, the ones like when, they, when we followed baseball as a kid, we always wanted to see the Yankees knocked off because we didn't like them. It was like the, that with the San Francisco 49ers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Dallas Cowboys when they were rolling, and even now with Belichick's team. I like to see a superpower, and Bill Belichick has got to be coach of the year in the National Football League. No question in my mind. Well, well, right, Bill, let me, let me tell you a question out of left field. Maybe Roger will have a comment, too. Uh, one of my sons went to JMU, and uh, uh, they've been in uh, last week. I watched the semifinal game. And tonight, the championship game is on, and they're leading 21 to 6. And their coach, for people to remember, coached at Temple. Uh, he coached with Bruce Arians at Temple. And uh, he was, what, 10 and, I think 10 and 2 last year, lost to the championship game. This year, he's 11 and 1. Going into the championship game, and leading right now twenty-one to six with thirteen minutes to go in the fourth quarter, I, I I would think his name would crop up somewhere as a potential head coach at a major school. I would think so, Don. But here's the deal: James Madison is going to Division One football. All right, they're leading one double A, so maybe he has a a good deal down there at James Madison. You know, it'll be a little rough sledding early on, but I, I think he's got a good situation there. But I certainly oh, think he's has. I, I don't know what, what – I don't have any idea what his contract uh, figures are. Or, uh, but, I mean, to me, uh, when you look at somebody like this that has had that kind of success, uh, even though he wasn't in Division One, you're correct. But uh, they're the kind of guys I like to look at and say, 
hey, look, prove me wrong. Prove me you're not the guy that can come in and help a program. No question, Don. That's a very good point. And I'm going to tell you one other point before I leave. How does Bruce Bochy, three-time World Series champion, not have a job right now in baseball? Answer me that question. question. Yeah, good question. Roger, Yeah, I wanted to get back to James Madison, Bill, before you go. You know, I agree with you, and – a couple of things, you know, Don, look at Andy Talley. I mean, you know, years yep. ago, okay, when they were doing well, I remember James Madison, I think, knocked them out when they could have uh, had another championship. And the other yeah, thing right. is that they, um, what I would uh, say is it reminds me of, uh, Dan, when I lived here before, when Georgia State uh, became, uh, got, uh, took on football. And I mean, you. I was at that first game, and you guys know who the SID was because he was with the the Washington. Well, when, when it was the Redskins, and then with the uh, uh, Falcons, Charlie Taylor, uh, one of the great uh, yep. PR directors. Yep, and then he PR was at Georgia State, and the uh, and and Bill Curry, a Hall of Famer. Okay, great coach, great player. He was the guy that was the first coach. And then look at them now. They've had some upsets. They're Division One. They're growing. And, I mean, it's probably been about, uh, what, five, six, seven years since they just started football from the ground up. And now they play in the old Turner Field, which was the uh, Olympic Stadium in 96. Good point. Hey, Don, Roger, I enjoyed joining you guys. Don, anytime you need me. always. Merry Christmas and a happy New Year, gentlemen. All right. You too. Okay, go ahead. The very best. Have Merry Christmas, and I know I'll talk to you before that because uh, we want to chat a little bit about uh, a fellow that's been on our program so many times, great linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles, and we want to chat a little bit about him as well. So, uh, okay, uh, thank you very much for jumping in with us and uh, spending a half hour. Always learn something when you're on the program and. Merry, Merry Christmas to you and everybody around you, and we'll talk to you after the holidays. Ho, ho, ho. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Take care, partner. He's gone. We have – our next guest is is one of the uh, greatest guys I think we've ever met. Uh, He is um, one – he has a football mind, a athletic body, but he has the heart of a lion, and he takes care of everybody that's around him, especially his wife and his children. Uh, it's so nice to see pictures uh, of how the kids are growing up now. But we knew Brett when Brett was the um, quarterback here at uh, the Storm, and um, then he went on to bigger and better things. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to talk. Uh, we're going to introduce the conference champion, a uh, conference coach of the year. Uh, at, from DePaul University, uh, Brett Deets. Brett, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you guys doing? Good to good to talk to you, Brett. Always. Well, we're we're chatting about coaches just before you came ago. on. We're <laughs> talking about James Madison and the job that uh, that he's done down there the last couple of years, going ten and two. Now this year, ten and one, and right now ahead uh, twenty-one to six in the fourth quarter uh, with twelve minutes to go uh, against Montana. And uh, what a job he's done from a coaching standpoint. 
And as you said, uh, you started from ground level. Uh, your idea is that how difficult is it to build a program starting from ground level? Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but that game was on uh, last weekend. So they don't play till this Friday. So you're probably watching a replay. Uh, they played North Dakota State in the semifinals this weekend. Oh, but, oh I thought it was. I thought it was a, the game was on as of tonight. I didn't know that. Thank you. I'm yeah, glad, just, you, glad, I, you, no, I'm glad you stick too. me out. That's why we have you on, Brett, to clarify everything <laughs> for us. Well, I saw it too. I was flipping just before I came on. I was like, "Oh, the game's on." I was like, "Oh, that's from last week." So, yeah, they ended up winning that game. So they'll play uh, Friday night in the, in the national semifinal. But they've done a great job and. And, you know, there's certain teams at those levels um, that just become powerhouses. And uh, Jay, James Madison's definitely a powerhouse at that level, and they've done a great job. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's kids that play at higher levels um, that they want to win. And, uh, you know, they want to be a championship, and they want to win national championships. So if they can't do it at the FBS level, um, then they'll find teams like, you know, Mount Union or uh, Whitewater at our level. Um, certainly JMU is, is one of those powerhouses at that level. And, and, and sometimes they'll get some FBS transfers to come down that, that want to win a national championship and play a key role. So you get some really good players uh, that will come down. And, and uh, I don't know their roster that well, but I, I know they've done a great job and, and everybody wants to be a part of a, of a winning culture. And he's certainly done a, a great job and, and uh, make an opportunity to move up and, and coach some, some different young men and, um, win another uh, national championships at another level. So, uh, but it's certainly fun to watch those teams compete at a high level and and continue to do it year in and year out is really impressive. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, talk a little bit about recruiting, but uh, you're in a little different position as far as recruiting is concerned. Uh, tell, talk about it. How how do you go about getting the kinds of players you need to fulfill your program? Yeah, every place is a little bit different. Um, you got to know what your school is. Um, and who you are, and who can be successful at your school. You know, for us, we're a very high academic school. Um, we're a top 50 school in the country, um, so we can't get, you know, certain kids that aren't academically motivated. Um, they're just not going to be successful. They're going to fail out of school, and it's not going to be good for the kid. And it's not going to be good for us. We want kids that are going to be the right match, and I think every place you got to find the right match. So, and as these coaches and FBS you know, switch around so much, the school's always going to be the same, but, but the personality of the head coaches and the coaching staff and the rest of the players is a little bit different from, from uh, place to place. And what I found, because I've been at DePaul now for 11 years, you know, you'll start to know the more you're at a place, you'll start to find guys that, that really are going to fit your scheme or fit your school or fit your team. And I think the teams that do really well are the teams that can find the right fit um, and recruit guys and, and sell their alumni sell um, whatever next opportunities there are. Like at the FBS level, you're selling, hey, we can got we got this many guys in the NFL, we got this many guys um, getting opportunities. We don't do that at our level. At the Division three level, I'm selling, hey, look how many CEOs we've graduated. Um, you know, we can get you internships, we can get you travel abroad opportunities, um, we can get you set up for the rest of life when you graduate. Um, you know, most of our guys graduate with multiple job offers and. And so we are really selling 50-50, hey, high academics and the opportunities you can get after school, but also we're selling our football and our football program. And, uh, you know, and we won this year. We won our conference championship. Uh, We won the first playoff game in school history. We made it to the NCAA 
uh, Division Three Sweet Sixteen. Um, so that was great for us. So we're going to get a lot of, of pub for that and recruiting, and we're going to use that to our advantage. So we're going to sell to our kids and, and to our recruits over the next couple of years that, hey, you can get a top-flight education, you can get the internships, you can get a $100,000 job coming out of school, but at the same time you can also win championships here, and you can be part of a winning program, and we can help you reach your potential. So we look for guys that, that excel on the academic side and the guys that, that excel – on the athletic side, and we really sell the balance between the academics, the athletics, and the social life on campus. And that's what works for us, but that's not going to work everywhere. you got to find what are the strengths of your school, what are the strengths of your program, of your history, and you got to try to sell that to 16- to 18-year-olds and sell it to their, their parents. Um, and that could be a hard thing because 16- to 18-year-olds make decisions based on really weird little things and they don't always make the most rational decisions. So, um, you know, it's definitely an art form. Um, it's a lot of hard work. Um, and really it, it makes up probably 60% of my job. You know, most of our job is recruiting. It's not necessarily coaching football. That's that's just a small part of, of what we do. Roger? Brett, do you ever uh, consider or have you ever considered uh, going to a uh, higher uh, level uh, program, and you know, I'm thinking in the New Jersey conference, which is also, uh, th- you know, uh, th- three. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know there, it's amazing. Uh, the and, and I know you're you're aware of this. It's amazing uh, how some of the schools academically are one level, and I'm thinking at the College of New Jersey. Good friend Eric Hamilton was there for years. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the SAT requirement was much higher than, say, you know, another school, Jersey City State or um, Rowan, okay, uh, a couple of schools. But uh, I'll give you another one, Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg has a very solid football program, and yet uh, very close to what Brett's saying about you got to have academics. You can't can't just go to school and, and play football. Well, and Bucknell, where my son-in-law played, I mean, that's Division uh, One, but uh, they, they really have trouble with football. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And uh, they've won some basketball uh, first, and uh, I guess one time they won uh, the first two rounds, you know, in basketball. Of course, that's where Jay Wright uh, played, too. So, But uh, mm-hmm. I was wondering about that, Brett. Do you ever – have you had any interest, or do you have any interest in uh, going to a bigger program? Yeah, I think – you know, every coach has different motivations um, and things like that. And I spent, you know, I spent the first eight, nine years um, out of college. Um, you know, and I, I was traveling around the country. I was playing arena football, and that's what I chose to do. Um, right. You know, so I, I drug my wife down to Tampa, and we, we went all around the place. And, and uh, but now we got three kids. You know, we're, we're living in the Indianapolis area. My parents are only two and a half hours away. Um, I, I may get that bug a little bit later, uh, but right now I got three beautiful kids. They're all 10 or under, um, and I really like the work-life balance that I have right now um, between coaching, being a head coach for a really good school at a Division three level, and we're still having success, but I can still be a dad. I can still get to my kids' games. Um, I can still be a good husband. Uh, my wife's a principal, uh, which obviously is a very time-demanding job as well. So I'm I'm really um, enjoying, and I'm I'm trying to dominate where I am. So um, mm-hmm. I'm here, you know, in a few years, you know, after I kind of get my head coach, you know, under me, will I have that itch to maybe move up and and go on? Yeah, maybe, uh, but maybe not. You know, um, 
You never know. Well, so people I, don't I, realize I, what a major change it is. I mean, first of all, you have three young children, and at the same time, it's not only you moving, it's the whole family moving into another yeah. situation. Not that easy. Uh, it's, no. a, it's a major family decision. Yeah, and I have plenty of buddies. I mean, I have buddies that are in uh, FBS coaching, and, and uh, I'm, I'm so proud of those guys. My uh, One of my closest friends from college actually played the first couple of years of arena football with, and when I went overseas and played in Finland, he played on the same team because we were in the same school. We kind of went as a package deal. He, he's been the defensive coordinator at Stephen F. Austin the last three years, and they've really turned that program mm. around down Very, there. Yeah, big time. And yeah. Less than a week ago, um, he be, he just got named the defensive coordinator at Louisiana Tech. Um, Sonny Cumbie mm. took over that program, um, who's one of the good young coaches, is also as an arena football um, alumni that I played against in the arena football league. He's now at Louisiana Tech. And then my buddy just got hired um, – as his defensive coordinator. So he's from the Indianapolis area. He was NAIA coordinator of the year. They won a couple national championships at Marion. Um, then he went out to central Washington. So they moved them and their three kids out there. They had another kid out there. Um, he was there for a year. Then they moved to Texas A&M commerce. They were there for there. They won. And then they got moved to Stephen F. Austin. Um, and he's been there for two or, th- or three, three seasons. And one of them was the COVID season. You know, and now he's picking up his family and he's moving to Louisiana Tech. So, um, and he's got four young kids now um, and a wife. And obviously, he's fortunate enough to to make a full time uh, job there, making plenty of money there. So um, his wife doesn't have to work, but it is hard on his family, you know. And and they understand that, and their family's on board, and his wife's fully supportive of that. Uh, but that's that's what they chose to do. So he's been in, you know, in the last seven years, he's lived in four different houses and been at coordinator at four different schools so um you know but hopefully he'll get a chance to get settled into a place and play some roots and that's just something that at this point in my life I don't want to do so um I'm very happy where I am I'm very lucky to be the head coach at DePaul it's a fantastic school absolutely love it there and and we're going to try to do the best of what we can uh, right where we are and if I get that other itch maybe we'll explore it you know but but right now I'm I'm Really happy with where we are. Well, well you said sixty percent of your sixty percent of your job is is recruiting and forty percent is coaching. Uh, how many vacancies? Uh, what what is your turnover this year? How many how many uh, seniors are leaving and how many young men have you recruited to come in? Oh, that's a great question, and, and that's that's going to be different at every level as well. You know, if you have if you're at Alabama, you only have you know eighty five scholarships and you got some walk ons. Um, you know, your roster is going to be naturally lower. The Division three level, we're going to hold a slightly higher load um, of kids. So we're at 125 uh, kids on our roster right now. We look to bring in recruiting wow. classes of around 40. Um, and, and because we're Division three and we don't have scholarships, you know, we're, we're going to have 15 or so kids somewhere along the way say, you know, football's not for me anymore. They'll get involved in their fraternity or they'll get involved somewhere else. So um, we're trying to have 25 seniors, so bring in a class of 40, and if you have 25 seniors left, that's a really good uh, rate there. And it doesn't matter if you're winning championships or not. You're, you're still going to find 15 guys that aren't happy with their playing time or they just get involved somewhere else. So, um, But we'll bring in 40, 40 young men, um, and uh, you know they, they're not all the same skill level. You'll have, just like at the FBS level, you'll have some that are your top kids that you're expecting a lot of, out of, and some kids you're going to recruit, and they're just going to be a little bit more developmental. Uh, but you never know. Sometimes those guys 
uh, surprise you, and they find themselves on the field a lot sooner than somebody you maybe thought uh, was going to come in and, and do some really good things. So, um, but yeah, it's it's recruiting fun. It's a lot of hard work, uh, but it's very rewarding when you when you work to get these kids and they they pick DePaul for the right reasons, and then you get to see them grow up and that relationship builds and um, you see them mature. You, you see them, you know, go through great adversity in life, but they overcome it. Um, and then they they graduate and they go on to do great things and and hopefully they're good fathers, husbands, and and productive members of society and hopefully some of them will make enough money they can donate some money back to our program and we can build a new stadium but that's the goal. Well, you know a couple of things, Brett, that you mentioned about personalities and coaching and I I've seen that uh, down here in Georgia. Uh, look at Mark Rick, you know, uh, who left Georgia, went to Miami, and uh, he's retired now. And then you look at Kirby, uh, smart. And then I've looked at Kirby's resume. I mean, it's like every, almost every year, every other year. I mean, you, you know, moved around from Alabama, Georgia to Alabama. I mean, all over the place. And it's a tough life. I mean, uh, uh, for these, uh, for a coach that goes that route. And I can see where, uh, just like Eric Hamilton has done, those. Uh, he found happiness uh, staying at uh, the College of New Jersey when it was Trenton State before. Raised his family. They did well. They're all grown, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I, I think it all depends on what's your motivation. What are you, what are you trying to do? You know, and, and where are you internally motivated as a person and as a coach and, and as a father or whatever your family situation is? and. And believe me, there's certain players, certain coaches out there that are like, I'm trying to coach at the highest level. I'm trying, trying to make it to the NFL. I'm trying to make it to the uh, Power Five conference. And that's their motivation, and that's what they're going to get up and, and pursue to do every single day. Uh, but with, with that salary and with, with those responsibilities comes a lot of pressure too. Uh, oh, yeah. Look at Coach Coach O and down on LSU, man. He just won a national championship a couple years ago, and now he doesn't have a job, you know, so – yeah, uh, what yeah. I was just going to say, what a cultural change that is for Kelly. You know, from Notre Dame, granted he's getting $90 million, but uh, the cultural change between going to LSU and, and uh, Notre Dame is, uh, that's, a, that's a lifestyle. And the yep, accent, Don, the accent. I'll tell you, I, I'm going to wonder how he's, how he's going to make out there. I, I uh I mean, he's a great coach. Obviously, he won more games than Notre Dame than anybody in 12 years, and and uh, and the 90 million dollars speaks for itself. Just like you say with Dabo, the money speaks for itself at Clemson. Uh, but I, I don't know. I I I, I sort of have my uh, I wonder what about that. I don't know. Yeah, it's coaching carousel a little bit, you know, and hopefully, you know, those guys get to a place where. Um, you know, the administration will be patient with them and the fan base will be patient with them and they can let these, these guys try to build a dynasty because sometimes they, they don't give them enough time to really get their hands um, on enough kids and especially now with the transfer portal and guys switching teams oh, yeah. all over the place. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's kind of a mess, you know. Roger? Yeah, well, I mentioned earlier uh, about Georgia State and how far they have come uh, since I was at their very first game, which was in the Georgia Dome, and not many people there. Of course, now their stadium's the old Turner Field. 
But uh, yeah, the guy that I, I really, I've always had a lot of respect, and I got to know him uh, through the Football Foundation. He was our, uh, uh, our you know, n- uh, um, number one man of the year, basically. And that was Bill Curry. And, you know, I, I really gave him a lot, and I told him this, I give him, gave him a lot of credit to come out of retirement to uh, be the face of that program to get it started. And it's Division One, you know, now, and they've just come a long way. And uh, I, I respect somebody like that, just like I respect somebody, uh, I respect all coaches, you that uh, found their niche and uh, they really are very strong academically, and they're building men for their careers in the future. Exactly, and, and I got a lot of respect for him too, and, and what they've done. And and uh, but when you're there at a long time, you really get to leave your mark, you know, on a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- and that's that's my goal. You know, I, I followed. Uh, I didn't follow, but you know, Coach Nick Morosis was the head coach from 1981 to 2003 here at DePaul. Wow. And wow. Uh, he's very well respected. Um, 23 years um, at the helm. In fact. I played in my last game or my last season at, at Hanover in 2003 was his last season at DePaul. Um, and the, the way that the university and the community talks about him, there's just absolute reverence. Um, and he passed away during COVID. So we, we've had some, some alumni things and, and the way that the alumni talk about him and, and the relationship he had with them, um, is something special and it's something I aspire the, to, to be and, be a role model and, and a person that I can be at an institution for a while and, and uh, you know, really make it my program, you know. And that's really tough when you're only at a school for a year, two years, three years. You just become a blip on the radar. Um, well, Brent, you, and, certainly, and you really, certainly followed your dream. You followed football, of course, with Tampa yeah. Bay Storm and uh, moved all around and, uh, and kept playing as long as you felt it was uh, uh, something you wanted to do before going into coaching. So, uh, you've given it a full shot. You know where, you know what direction you're going, and you know what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I was uh, afforded a little bit, um, you know, because I was later in in uh, my twenties when I decided I was going to get to coaching. So I was a little bit more mature than you know, just graduating from college and not knowing what you wanted to do. And you know, uh, but I'll tell you this too. You know, if I would have went to a school like DePaul and we had some of the the career services that we have at DePaul, I might have got right into another job and been happy and got hooked up with alums and maybe never made it back into coaching. But part of it was I was pretty undecided coming out of school um, and had an opportunity to go overseas and play. And I said, yeah, I don't, you know, let's just, I know I wasn't going to make it to the NFL probably, but let's go see where this goes. Let's live in Europe and, and see how it goes. And came back, had some opportunities to keep playing with the indoor league and, so let's just do it and see where it goes. I'm, I'm having fun, having a blast. And I stayed very healthy. Um, I kept moving up, and I kept everywhere I went. I was pretty much the starter. So um, I just was taking it as far as I could go. And then once I I saw the Arena Football League, I mean, that was really my goal because, uh, you know, Matt Durazio, um, you know, those kind of guys were making $167,000 um, a year towards the end of their um, you know, in that post six oh seven year and things like that. So I was like, man, if I could get to that level, that that's a really good living. I, I love arena football. I fell in love with it, and, uh, and that's what I set out to do. And I, I made it, and I'm I'm very proud of that achievement that I made it to that level. Unfortunately, the the academic down or the you know 
economic downturn of 08, 09 kind of knocked that league out. And so I had to shift and I had to pivot, and, but I still love the game of football and, and found a way to stay in the game, and I kind of found my niche, as you said. How old are your youngsters now? I got a 10-year-old boy. Um, I got a 6-year-old boy, and I got a – she's going to turn 2 in January, girl, and she's a little firecracker. So, um, Third child. Well, you got a, you got a young, young, you got a young uh, group there of kids. I mean, they – you got a few years yeah. to go with them. Yeah, ten six and almost two. So um, we got our hands full, and it's fun. And it's also hands full when your wife's a principal too, uh, principal of an elementary oh, school. Yeah. So we both got high demanding jobs, but we make it work. And um, you know that's why I love what I do because you know what what I really like about my job, and this is um, something that you all can relate to your jobs as well, but. I really, really like the fact that my my job moves in seasons. So from August all the way to November, I'm all day every day. I mean, you're in season. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're in season in high school, you're in the NFL. You're giving 100% to your team, right? Um, And we still go to bed. Like, I got to see my kids at night and stuff like that. We're not burning the midnight oil there. but So there was still a little bit of a balance. But then once your season's over, then you kind of roll into recruiting, right? So then you turn your brain off of football. And you're trying to sell, uh, you know, 18 to 18 year olds, you know, in your program and your staff and your school and your facilities, and you know, the job kind of changes a little bit, right? Well, then you go a few months doing that, and you get some time off in the holidays, and then all of a sudden it's spring ball, and you're back into football. But that only lasts for four or five weeks, right? And then you take a little bit of break, and you get to spend a lot of time with your kids in the summer. You know, our kids aren't on campus during the summer, so. Um, they're off doing internships and things like that, so I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. I get to play golf, and then all of a sudden August rolls around. Now it's football time again, and we get to go, you know, from August to November and go every day again. So I really like how it changes and evolves, and I'm not, you know, when I was working at the bank, you know, I sold credit cards every day, trying to open bank checking accounts every day. That that gets old, monotonous, and boring, and I really like um, kind of the college coaching, and especially at the Division Three, where you go in cycles, you know, you're in season, you're out of season, you're in recruiting, you're in the summer, and, uh, you know, there's something different every day, and I really like that about this profession. It's obviously a, a great job of time management. What, when, how much time do I spend here? How much time do I spend with my family? How much time do I spend with something else? It's time management no matter what it is, whether you're playing or whether you're coaching. Exactly, and it's pro- setting your priorities, right? Where are my priorities at? And okay, I have a conflict. You're here. exactly right. You know, wh- where do I, where do I put my priorities, and how do I balance the the time and the the, the work, and the the home life balance? I guess. Roger, well, you know, and I, I miss arena football too. I'll tell you, Brett, because uh, I used to go to uh, uh, see the uh, the Philly team, and also down here, I I went to see the. Um, uh, uh, what was it? The Georgia um, Force, right? Yep, and uh, and that was sad, you know. Uh, when that when they uh, the the league closed for that year, two years, whatever it was, and then the Force never came back. And the mistake there was that uh, Arthur Blank moved it into the city, and instead of keeping it out in Gwinnett, and the fans rebelled and they they didn't show up for a while. Then he brought them back to Gwinnett. That's where I I watched them. 
and it was just it, uh, t- you know great. I mean, you had a, a strong uh, a force, uh, you know, fandom uh, and uh, support, and it just it's a shame. I mean, it's just a shame uh, that the Arena League. Listen, nobody did more to save it than Ron Jaworski. That I can tell you. I was just going to say, Ron Jaworski and Dick Vermeil. Uh, Ron took over and, and really tried very hard to keep the keep the league alive. But it just didn't yeah. happen. Uh, as you said, once they suspended for the year, it never came back. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, those the, the game of arena football is, is unlike anything else. I mean, I totally fell in love with it um, from really the, the first moment I saw a game up here in Indianapolis. I think it was early in my college career, so early 2000s is when I first saw it. And I just I was enamored. I could not look away from it. Um, man, it was so much fun to attend games and to play and because of how close everybody was. It's such an intimate game. And it probably didn't translate that well on TV. Um, and I think if it did, you know, everybody would be out to see him because if you could get people to come to a game, it was kind of addicting, wasn't it? I mean, you, you saw you, I, you and I was 100% incorrect, incorrect because I worked the uh, indoor soccer league for quite a few years from a television standpoint at 17 in Philadelphia. And I thought the indoor soccer was one of the great games because you scored. It was an offensive game, very, very competitive. It was a lot like like uh, ice hockey. There was always something going going on. And, and I thought that uh, indoor football was the same way. Uh, that, you know, there was uh, different rules, but at the same time, uh, it, it carried the football slogan to it. So I thought the two of them would really succeed, but neither one did. Yeah. But it, it does have the same, you know, intimacy as hockey. You know, hockey, mm-hmm. I mean, you go to a hockey game and you sit on the boards. I mean, you're right there. I mean, there's a, a plate of glass from you, but, I mean, you're like inches from those guys. And I think that was so cool about football. Is football, when you're watching the NFL, you're watching major college, I mean, you could be in the front row, but you're still going to be 15, 20, 50 yards, you know, 10 yards away from action. You know, uh, but man, when, when you watch arena football, I mean, you're right in the action. I mean, the guys could right. run into your lap, and I think that's exciting. And it really came across like, and, like indoor and, uh, lacrosse, same thing, Brett. Yeah, indoor lacrosse. Yep. Yeah. But the thing was, Roger Lacrosse is, uh, you know, not as nationally uh, world known. Uh, you know, you get certain places, areas of the country that are big lacrosse. Up in the New England area, and of course the Maryland. Johns Hopkins and you know, yeah. uh, University of North Carolina. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily think it's a, it's a national draw for television, uh, whereas football is, you know, and yeah. and uh, so is soccer. But it just didn't. Neither uh, one of them really just made it. It's unfortunate. Yeah, and I think any time, you know, people, you know, especially Americans, they want to watch stuff at the highest level. And if they can't get stuff at the highest level, they it generally becomes more of a niche sport, right? So, you know, even though it's arena football and it's, it's a great game, it's exciting action, we're not NFL players. They know we're not NFL right. players. Uh, but let's say in the off season, say between, you know, uh, you know, what if between April and May they played an eight-game arena football season with NFL players? That would be the most popular thing. That would be probably even more popular than the NFL if you just had the stars come out and play arena football. So, but I think that's American. Yeah. They want to see the top people play. Um, and if they, the top guys aren't playing it, then it'll always kind of be a niche sport. Roger. And, 
and they want to see offense. Americans want to see offense. Yeah, that's what the the, the problem's been with soccer. Because now listen, I I went to uh, the uh, Atlanta United game. It was a great game earlier in the season, and they mm-hmm. won at the uh, the buzzer the beat, and only because there was an extension of like two minutes. They won in that last two minutes, or it would have been a nothing nothing tie. And they, yeah. they and they scored that. It was wild. I mean, you know, the celebration and everything. But people, Americans want offense, scoring. I, yeah, and I I heard a good analogy, uh, Brett and Don. Um, they were talking about NFL football in Los Angeles. Now you've got two teams. Okay, mm-hmm. if, as long as you win, they're they're going to come out. But you also have to have a rock star on each team to get their interest. Okay, they want rock stars. By that, I mean superstar football players. And I think yep. that's very interesting. That's quite an analogy to make uh, about uh, Los Angeles with NFL football. Yeah, because they're used to seeing movie stars every day, too. That's uh, right. That's so exactly when they go to get right. entertained, they, they want to see LeBron. They want to see, they want to see the best of the best um, in their city. And uh, yeah, I thought one of the great things was this last weekend. And I, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a low key NFL watcher. I, I I like the game when it used to be played in a lot shorter period of time. And uh, uh, you know, the the great games of the past are seem more important. Now they throw the ball. It's all it's almost basketball. But Belichick proved coaching is what the name of the game. He played a game on Monday night that was played in 1955 <laughs> and 1960, and he played a game that uh, just showed you how 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 much coaching really means to sport. People say, "Well, coach doesn't mean anything." How many games does a baseball manager win during the course? Well, they win a lot if they're right, if they're good managers. And Belichick wins yeah. because he's better than anybody else. Yeah, right. And he's special. Three I mean, passes. That's, that's... When, when, Three when passes in the first like half, that. and one of them was, wasn't even a, a pass. It was just to get rid of the ball, the third one. He really only threw two passes. But he took advantage of the elements. He knew what he had to do coming in. He had his team prepared to play that way. And he wins. I mean, it's 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 the buying game. you got to – and he's just so far above everybody else. It's incredible. It's impressive. Oh, it really right. is impressive. Super impressive. I mean, what what he's done with – with the quarterback he has, because everybody thought, ah, oh, it's is it Brady or is it Belichick? And uh, you know, he, he's just phenomenal at what he does, and he'll go down as is probably the greatest ever. And we just really have to cherish that. We have to cherish LeBron. We have to cherish Belichick. We have to cherish Brady because you never know. Tiger Woods is here one day, and he gets in a car wreck next, and right. you never know when you're going to get the next Tiger Woods. So when you get the greatest. Um, or some of the. Well, I, I, you know, I agree with Roger. America, all of us, we love offense, but you know, fifty passes, sixty passes a game. Uh, I don't know. I just uh, it, it just doesn't seem like the same game that uh, it used to be. I, that's just my opinion. Oh, it isn't. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And and uh, you're right. I mean, that was really an unbelievable. Uh, accomplishment and plan that uh, Belichick had. And, uh, you know, hey, he deserves everything. And you can't tell me anybody turned that game off on television because he he only threw three passes in the first half and only really threw two. The other was just the desperation to get rid of the ball. But, 
you can't tell me that people turned that game off because they didn't throw the ball 50 times. I never turned it off, I can tell you that. Neither did I. <laughs> I. I watched the whole thing, and I said, boy, this is, and you know, this is football. This, I mean, he, he took advantage of the elements. He did everything you had to do. He coached the team the way it had to be coached. I mean, it was just incredible. It was just a great game to watch, and a great game to watch the way it was coached. Roger? Yeah, Sean McDermott wasn't too complimentary about it either, was he? For <laughs> Buffalo after the game. <laughs> well, he wasn't prepared. He wasn't prepared for the week no. before where he threw no passes or ran the ball no times at no time in the first half. How could you be from Buffalo and you play a half of football and you never run the ball one time in a half? I mean, and then I like McDermott. He coached for the Eagles. He he did a great job, oh, yeah. Roger will tell you. He was a, a greatest. He did a great job going to Buffalo. He turned that program around. But he was outclassed on Monday night. Oh yeah, I'm sure Brett, you agree with that. Yeah, I, I just didn't get a chance to see it, so um, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that one because I think I have all the Monday night games recorded. So you guys might have piqued my interest to go back and rewatch it. Well, Sean, like Don said, Sean McDermott was a uh, an assistant with Andy Reid and Jim Johnson, you know, uh, with the Eagles when Andy was there before J- uh, Jim Johnson got sick and passed away. And uh, he would be the one sending in all the defensive signals. I think he was the uh, defensive backfield coach. and But he was, uh, I believe, as I recall, William & Mary. So, uh, you know, he played that at not a uh, – SEC school, quote unquote, you know, whatever major uh, program. I mean, not that it's a a minor program, and you know, it's just not at the uh, level of uh, some of these big conferences. Well, as I say, it's a, you know, it's it's all about a perception of what you like to see, and 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 so forth. I mean, we're all great football watchers and advisors and thinkers. <laughs> I think we know more than a lot of people do. We probably don't know anything, but <laughs> I'll tell you, I just admire a guy that's better than everybody else. And I don't want to see, we were talking to a, a, a real good Philadelphia reporter before you came on, uh, Billy Wardell. And uh, as, as Billy said, and, and I felt the same way for years about the Yankees, was let, let your team get to be as good as them. Don't root against them or don't hope that they lose because, you know, Get your team to be as good or better than they are. And uh, that, to me, that's what it's all about. And unfortunately, the National Football League is all parity. That's what they wanted, and that's what they have. You get one great game, but then you get a bunch of games that are just mediocre And uh, because it's all parity. How many great teams are there now? Not very many. <laughs> or, no, a lot of uh, teams that are parity. That's what you really have. Just like Billy mm-hmm. said, you know, when you got six and seven, so many teams that still have a shot to make the playoffs. You know, with that's what they want. They want. They want the. They want the fact that when you buy a ticket to go to the game, that your team has a chance to go to the playoffs. If baseball is going to do the same thing where they have this new contract, they're probably going to have right. sixteen teams in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, we'll see what happens. But I mean. I, I'm just never a guy that believes in parity. I want to. I want to see. A, I want to see good management, good managers, good players win. I, I don't want to see. 
you make rules that you say you jeopardize their winning. That's my. Uh, that's always been my feeling, anyway. Brett, you may have a different idea. No, I think it's, it all depends on on what they want to do, and I think what they don't want is four or five super teams that dominate and nobody else has a chance, and then you lose those franchises because fans don't want to come see a loser. And but uh, you know, but if they're a loser, they take them away and take them to another city. As people in St. Louis haven't got any of their money back yet. That's true. <laughs> that's true. And they bought uh, the they bought the, the uh, seat licenses. They bought season tickets. And now they can't get their money back. And and in uh, L.A. they built that gigantic stadium, and it was going to all be paid for. Now they want now they want the league to pay for it, and they want other people to pay for it. He doesn't yeah. want to hey, pay hey, the hey, full hey. price anymore. Hey, uh, you know any, what? They do what they wait, they do what they want to do. It's uh, the rich get richer. Any That's rules right. that help my Cincinnati Bengals, I'm I'm all for those rules. Whatever <laughs> rules help the Bengals, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me tell you, Paul Brown was there. He didn't throw money around. Don't don't worry about that. <laughs> he uh, he, he I created. Can, a, I can hear the kids. Me, one of the three or four best coaches in the history of the game, and management uh, personnel. He built the Cleveland team originally from nothing, and uh, he built Cincinnati from nothing. And uh, so I, I put him in a category with uh, the greats in, in both departments. And uh, you know, but he didn't pay great salaries either. So, uh, but he was to me he was one of the best there is in the business. Yeah. No hey, Brett, we want to thank you for coming on um, last week. Uh, I know you weren't able to make it. Uh, we did do a tribute to uh, to Tommy, uh, and you were you were one of his best golf uh, partners. Uh, is there anything you want to tell us, uh, tell our our listeners about Tommy? Yeah, Tommy was a phenomenal guy. Um, I mean, he'd give you the shirt off his back um, in a heartbeat. I mean, just one of the most kindest guys that, that I came across um, down in Tampa. Could you beat him on the golf course? Could I beat him on the golf course? Yeah, of course. Yeah, me and Tommy. <laughs> most of the time we were partners, though. Me and Tommy played everybody else. So I always made sure I had Tommy. Um, you know, he'd, he'd always – I can still see him now. He's like, you got to roll the wrist. You got to roll the wrist. And uh, if he hit a bad <laughs> shot to the right, he'd always say, "Man, I didn't roll my wrist over." So he's one of the fastest golf golfers I've ever played with, too. So we always appreciated that. We could always get around Tampa Bay Golf and Country Club really quickly, and um, was always a, a a great professional. And and you know, covering the storm and everything he did there. But you know, we really hung out off the course too, and we'd go play mm-hmm. golf, and, and we really enjoyed playing golf and grabbing lunch together, and and. Uh, just a great guy and, and sad to see him go, but I'll definitely uh, remember him with, with fond memories and, and uh, remember him as long as I live. Yeah. And before we go, you know, there is another part of the, of the Deeks family that's has been, been uh, very successful in, the, in their endeavors. And that would be the uh, principal of the uh, middle school. And can you uh, fill us in about that? Yeah, she, uh, she's doing a great job with what she's doing and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy, uh, doing that job amongst the COVID world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just really complicated stuff for, for principals and, and the, and the teachers and the administrators on the ground that are with the kids every day. And, and you kind of have to go mm-hmm. off what the state says and state regulations. And then your superintendent, you really got to try to operate the best you can, uh, really within those rules. And, and she's doing a phenomenal job and, 
she's always mm-hmm. on the cutting edge of technology, always on the cutting edge of of instruction, and and oftentimes they'll use her for examples and put her in chairs at committees and things like that. So I'm super proud of Dana and all she does um, yeah. for the school, both for our kids, but also for uh, the kids of the corporation she works for. Good. Well, Brett, we want to thank you for giving us the time, and we didn't want to stretch you too long because I heard the kids in the background there, but. We, yeah, it's bedtime. We really right appreciate here. everything. Yeah. Well, thank we, you. We, we really appreciate thank, thank you very much. Great. Uh, Murray, long since we had a you on this show. So thank you very much. Great to see you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, Absolutely. Take, Take care. Merry Christmas. Bye bye. Merry Christmas. Who's up next, Frank? I didn't hear you say. Uh, well, it's ho ho ho. Here comes the pro. There he is. Yes, here. See it well, high, watch it fly. See it low, see it go. <laughs> Seriously, Don, Don, I, I've been the closer on this show for like 10 years, and you have to ask who's up next. That, that's pain. That kind of hurts. <laughs> so I got to tell you, a, a, uh, we've been talking national football league since the first half hour of the show. We were talking about the COVID and all the problems that's presenting now for football, yeah. for hockey, for basketball, for everybody. Uh, it hasn't uh, really affected golf that much since the end of last season uh, mm-hmm. because there haven't been a lot of tournaments going on, and let's hope it continues right. that way. But uh, it's just unfortunate what's happened to sport, and uh, yeah. the Ravens have been involved in it as well. Yeah, the um, the Ravens are... You know, look, I, I love Baltimore. I love the Ravens. Um, I think Coach Harbaugh has um, very quietly established himself as a very uh, solid professional and, and wonderful head coach in the NFL. Um, you know, and we can talk about a lot of different things here with COVID. We can talk about injuries and how that's decimated their roster. And, you know, he would stand on the podium and tell you that, you know, that's unfortunate, next man up, and you know, everybody has to deal with adversity. And you know, What's the latest on Jackson, Doug? Um, he, look, I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. I mean, uh, the the Ravens have signed Josh Johnson off of the practice squad of the jets. Uh, so to me, that's an indication. Um, obviously Tyler Huntley got the first team reps today. So, I I mean, they can say that he's day to day, but I think that's part of the gamesmanship of saying, you know, I want you to still prepare for Lamar Jackson. Um, but we're going to start Tyler Huntley. So I I don't think Lamar is going to play this game. Um, the good news is that it wasn't a high ankle sprain, that it was just a, a sprain of the ankle that, you know, I hope that he can shake off. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. It, it, to me, the, the Ravens aren't going anywhere. The, the Cincinnati Bengals will likely win the division. Um, you know, Baltimore cannot beat Green Bay, Green Bay at home. Um, you know, it, Aaron Rodgers might throw for 500 yards this week. I don't know who they're going to have covered uh, Devontae Adams, but he, he might catch 20 passes. I mean, it's, it, there's no way they can beat Green Bay. I mean, their, their, their defense is just ravaged by, you know, all kinds of injuries. Their top two or three corners are out. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do to defend, um, you know, kind of a spread, kind of a let's throw the ball and, and take our chances offense from Green Bay. There's, you know, and you look at their schedule, they have to play Cincinnati in Cincinnati, and then they play uh, the Rams, but, you know, and Pittsburgh. But, I mean, 
they may win one of their final four games if they're lucky. Uh, my prediction is the Ravens probably miss the playoffs. Uh, Cincinnati is your AFC North champion. Um, it's it, you know, look, it's it's a it's a they were resilient. It's a good fight, but unfortunately, I just don't think they have enough talent. I can't understand. It's uh, only a four and a half point spread, which which really surprises me a little bit. I, I thought it would be yeah. as you indicated. Uh, 43.5 is the uh, over-under, yeah. uh, but well, uh, four-and-a-half is the number, and that just doesn't sound realistic with all the players well, that are out. And, and, and obviously, uh, I agree with you. I, I mean, Jackson, uh, they took him off on a card. I can't imagine in my wildest <laughs> dreams that he's going to be well, able to play this week. So uh, I know, that, he, that, that line surprises me. Well, his, his Superman cape may be in the cleaners this week, uh, but – uh, the Green Bay Packers may get the over/under of 43.5 themselves. Um, I, I really do think that this is a, a problematic. I mean, the Ravens' uh, run defense, I believe, is number one in the NFL, or at least the AFC. Um, right. You know, so they, I, I think they can, you know, be a little stout in the run game. But I, listen, Devonte Adams is. I don't know if we can argue or not. He may be the best receiver in football. He's definitely the best route runner in football. Um, they don't have anybody that can. And if if Wink Martindale wants to match up with them one on one in a man to man style, that that that's not going to work. I mean, they're they're going to have to play zone, which is anti Ravens because they just don't do that. Um, Baker Mayfield last uh, week was hit one time in the entire game. So, I mean, they're obviously not bringing any type of pressure. Um, if, if you give Aaron Rodgers the, um, you know, commensurate amount of time to throw the football, this is going to be a problem for their secondary. Uh, matchups are going to be an issue. They don't have linebackers that can, that can cover some of those slot guys. Um, they just, they don't, it, it's, I'm sorry. I love the Ravens, but this is just not going to work for them this week. I'm sorry. Rodgers. Nope, lost Roger. I'll go back this week because I think a couple of good yeah. games. I think the Chiefs and Chargers on Thursday night, yep. tomorrow night. I, I think that may be a pretty good game. The spread's three. Uh, I think yep. it can go either way. The Chiefs have played very, very well, but they're on the road. They're going to be playing well, uh, in L.A., and I think that uh, that could be a really one of the fine games of the weekend. Sure. What do you think, Doug? I would agree. Um, I think this is what I would call a jump game. You know, the the, the you know the king of the block is uh, the Chiefs and uh, the Chargers have to jump a little bit to try to establish themselves. Um, I think Justin Herbert has played really well uh, the last few games. Uh, they get uh, Keenan Allen back from the COVID list. Um, you know Mike Williams is a tough matchup. They have um, depends on game time decision call with uh, their running back Eckler. I don't know. He's got some ankle issues. Um, as long as he doesn't have any setbacks in pregame, he, he may be a go. I don't know what his status actually is in terms of um, playing, cutting, etc. Um, you know, the Chiefs' defense have played pretty well down the stretch here. You know, right. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Um, Tyree Kill is a tough cover for anybody. So this this could be a high-scoring game in a, in a shootout fashion. Um, you know, if the Chargers want to make a, a ploy for the playoffs, I think this is obviously the time to do it, and they're going to have to jump a little bit to get there. Yeah, they're working on 51 and a half as far as the over-under is concerned. But another good game is also this early part of the weekend so on Saturday. Uh, the Colts against the Patriots. Yeah. Now the Patriots are going to have to come back after yeah. an outstanding performance 
and an outstanding coaching performance by Bill Belichick last weekend at Buffalo, right. but they got a short rest. And now they're going to get sure. the Colts, who have put together some great games this year. Yeah, I mean, Bill Belichick is in infamous for finding uh, your strength and then, you know, scheming his game plan to take away your strength. Uh, so in this particular case, that would be Jonathan Taylor, who is such a fabulous running back for the Colts. Uh, the scheme of the Patriots' defense will be to shut Jonathan Taylor down, which obviously then makes uh, the onus on uh, Carson Wentz to try to beat you with his arm, spread the ball around to some of his little-known receivers, Michael Pittman and some of those guys that um, can make a play. The secondary of the Patriots and their defense in general coming off of a bye, remember, is also very important here. That um, could, right. could be uh, a determining factor here. Um, I think the Patriots well, roll with that. A lot of interest in Philadelphia because of the quarterback, as you just indicated. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, Carson Wentz, I think because of his, it's either amount of snaps or games played or something has activated um, because that original trade clause had something to do with um, you know, again, uh, amount of snaps or, or, or you know, playing time or some version that escalates the draft pick uh, up a little higher. So um, I think the Eagles are, are in good shape to, to get a better draft pick there. Well, the Eagles of Washington game, we talked about it at great lengths with Zoli Wardell, one of our uh, reporters from Philadelphia, and uh, it's a 4.5 spread. Uh, but Washington is uh, really short-handed yeah. this weekend now because <laughs> of the COVID and Right. So, uh I'll tell you, a lot of these lines I think are going to have to change because of the COVID. I just don't think they're going to be able to remain the same. Well, those odds makers are really good at what they do. Um, you know, so I, I yeah, we're, we're still fairly early in the week. I mean, we have to release, um, you know, the injury reports and, and hedge our bets with people that are quote unquote questionable slash, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think, there's the possibility exists that a lot of these lines, as you mentioned, will change. Um, you know, the Browns have been ravaged. Uh, the the uh, uh, Washington football team's been ravaged by this. I mean, and we right. we know that this is. I mean, look, this. I, I was watching the news earlier today, and they're just talking about all kinds of different, you know, school systems and different, you know, scenarios that require enhanced protocols with regard to COVID. It, man, it just this this isn't going away. You know, people. Um, have taken a lot of things for granted with regard to this disease and whether they're not vaccinated or not, you know, practicing all the different things they should do. I mean, you talk about, you're talking about football games and the, the point that you said earlier about, you know, golf not being affected by that. You don't typically have people sitting next to each other or, or you know what I mean? In close, close proximity with regard to golf. Uh, so that does, that, that does make sense um, that it that hasn't been a super spreader. I mean, we're entering the holiday season where this is going to be a problem with people traveling and, and, and being around family and, and um, you know, gatherings and all these things. So this isn't going away. I mean, people that aren't vaccinated need to really consider getting vaccinated. Um, you know, obviously that trickles down to some of the kids, the five to 12 year olds that, you know, they need to talk to their pediatricians and think about, you know, what's right for their child, what's right for their family, what's right for the quote unquote herd, if you will, um, you know, I'm hopefully going to get my booster soon. You know, we, we need to really do our part in, you know, making sure that we can mitigate the damage of the spreading of this. And, you well, know, I just don't about, know how they can emphasize it anymore. They've used every possible way from an inducement of a hundred dollars in New York to everybody that uh, would yeah. come and get their, get uh, their vaccination that had gotten it 
Uh, they've done everything in the world to try to get these people to understand right. it. You know, and now well, uh, we talked about it at the first half hour of the show. Two of my kids work in New York, and uh, now they've been uh, relegated back to the back home. They're not allowed to go into the office. Uh, they shut that down, and they have to wear a mask everywhere in New yeah. York now. It used to be just had to wear a Madison Square Garden or a, of a game, or, mm-hmm. but now they've re. Uh, Reindoctrinated the fact that you got to put the mask on again, so it, yeah. it's not going to go away. Sure. No. Well, listen, Don. I, I want to tell you, and Frank, I know you're listening. Uh, uh, President Joe mm-hmm. Biden has uh, gone gone far enough to forgive a lot of the uh, collegiate loans of individuals uh, that that have gone through school and applied for all the loans. I'd like to put an IOU in for Joe Biden. I think he owes me about, I don't know, shit, 60 grand probably. Um, I'd like to get some of that back. If you could talk to him about that, that'd be great. I mean, we're talking like 1992 to six. So, I mean, that doesn't fall within his purview, but I'd still like to get that back. Yeah, I'm looking for no that problem. too, Doug, because of my, uh, my daughter's uh, education at Bucknell. I'm with you. Yeah, I hear you, brother. Yeah. Roger has rejoined us. Well, yeah, I'm working and uh, wrapping up, but I'll tell you later on exactly what my night was and not a, uh, uh, not the best. <laughs> well, we've got some great guests on, and, and Doug, we just uh, we, we really didn't talk about golf because there wasn't too much to talk about. Uh, although yeah, the, the upcoming presentation of Tiger and his son ought to be some fun. Sure. Yeah. No. Um... You know, me and uh, one of the guys on my shop staff today, it was, I don't know, maybe 50, couple degrees here, um, pretty moderate for December in Baltimore. But uh, we, we went out and played four holes of golf today. We walked, and we had three clubs each. Uh, so it was, you know, something that we did just for fun and a little bit of exercise. The the four holes we walked was probably just short well, of a Well, it's going to be great so, tomorrow. It's going to be 62 degrees here, so... Yep. You're going to yeah. be able to get out and play uh, AT with no problem, are <laughs> Sugar, I, I, you know what I'd like to. Um, this is a wonderful time of year. Um, obviously, I didn't get this luxury last year uh, to, um, to you know, sit down and, and go through uh, some of the different planning and um, off-season stuff that's incredibly necessary for us to be efficient during the season. So, um, you know, for the first time in probably six, years, I would say, I'm going to be able to go to the PGA show, um, which is held in Orlando at the end of January. So um, so it's a wonderful opportunity to meet with some of your sales reps, um, Mm -hmm. continue your education with different seminars and and, uh, um, educational experiences. Um, You know, look, it's going to be January here in Baltimore. So you're going to be in Orlando. A portion of that is, is meeting with some of your vendors that you spent some money with, whether it's lunches, dinners, a few beers, et cetera, to have a little fun, you know, and oh, by the way, it's hopefully going to be 70, 75, 80 degrees uh, when otherwise we'd be mm-hmm. shoveling snow. So, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, incredible things uh, to that process, and I'm very confident, too, because we're talking about a, uh, a warmer winter than most people anticipate. The, the, well, you know, the forecast is for a very uh, moderate winter, so... You may yeah. get a little golf at your club uh, more so than you would on a regular year. 
Well, you know, I, I have a lot of Don Hendersons as members, you know, people that um, would would be in this area during the quote-unquote season, which is going to be May through probably somewhere October 1st, and then after that they're going to they're gonna, um, relocate to their winter havens. And so, you know, busy day for me tomorrow. I'm going to go over-under is probably 30 golfers. We just don't have that many people who are remaining um, – you know, that would play because they're already in Florida um, otherwise. So this is a different world that I'm used to. Um, the club that I previously worked at, I'll bet you they do 100 rounds of golf tomorrow because all their members are, are local. And they're going to look at the forecast and say, you know what, gosh, it's December. Holy crap, you know, it's going to be 60 degrees. Let's go play golf. And um, you know, a little different scenario. Now, you and your club, do you play temporary greens, uh, just greens in front of greens, or do you just go ahead Play the normal greens. You know, during during our little four-hole walk today, I did notice that they had uh, shaved it down and, and mowed an area uh, that they're making preparations for the temporary greens. I have to leave it right there, Doug. Yeah, once again, thank yep. you very much, as always. I look forward to next week. We'll mm-hmm. chat about the Ravens. We'll chat about golf. We'll chat about baseball. And uh, hopefully yep. some things will be resolved, especially with the, uh, with the pandemic. So we'll go from there. Thank yep. you very, very much. Time is out. Roger is out there working tonight. We'll get you back, Roger, next week. And uh, that's going to handle it for tonight. Frank, take over. Have a great week, brother. And everybody else goes, this is the last show of the year. Okay. uh, We'll be off the air. That's right. The holidays are coming up. Yes, sir. We're all on vacation. uh, Everybody gets a big vacation. Enjoy that bonus check you got in the mail today. And uh, if you have enough uh, left over, get yourself a, a soda or something. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. Now, if you see somebody in uniform, please, there are very, very difficult times for those in uniform. Please take a chance to say hello to them. <clears throat> these programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman <clears throat> Jeffrey Colcaptain, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Conn at Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department. I'm sorry, Police Department. Uh, but Sergeant Charlie Lake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman and Officer Christopher Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman, Patrol Deputy Josh Meyer, uh, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Pikus, Wilmington Fire Department. Excuse me, uh, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Charles Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hallow of his hands.
Good night. God bless. And have a great Merry Christmas. Shem Alek Ma'ilama Shem Ma'ezahilama